the whole point of the IoT is about taking the things that we've already been doing for years with sensors and with actuators and you know, motors and things like that and making it to where that data can be accessible or those things can be controllable from anywhere else in the world. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. Today we're talking to Brandon Satrom about his book, Ellie Saves the Day. It's a story about electricity and circuits for the next generation of maker girls and boys. Brandon is a veteran of the technology world and has spent his 20-year career working as a programmer, architect, product manager and executive for a number of companies across a variety of industries. A tinkerer at heart, Brandon's love for electronics extends back to the Nintendo Entertainment System. He would take apart and reassemble when simply blowing on the cartridges didn't work. Brandon is also a lover of story and has written and published several books and short stories. He lives in Austin, Texas with his editor-in-chief and wife Sarah and three boys. So when it comes to children's books, Brandon has published two so far and both were initially successfully funded on Kickstarter. First, there was Ed Gets His Power Back, back in 2017. And then a year later, the children's book Ellie Saves the Day was launched. Both books share a common theme, which is to discover electronics through the power of story. His first book, Ed Gets His Power Back, is the story of a green LED named Ed, who learns to light himself up and complete a circuit with the help of his friends. In the second kid's book, Ellie Saves the Day, Ellie, who is a blue LED, learns to make her light blink and complete a circuit with the help of her friends. Both books are beautifully illustrated and fun to read with your kids. But what is even better is that both books can be purchased with a Steam Kit, a component pack which includes either an electronic breadboard or a custom printed circuit board plus components. While reading the book or afterwards, you can then complete a basic but real electronic circuit and thereby continue to learn about the electronic components discussed in the real physical world. If you'd love to see more about these books or try out the free Steam guidebook that Brandon makes available online, please head over to kidslab.dev for this episode's show notes. Hi, Brandon. It's awesome to have you on the show. Um, how's life these days? Um, there's Corona all over. I'm wondering how it is in the US right now. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it is, it's interesting times. You know, I think that uh, in the US, at least, it seems like by and large, we've gotten the message that it's important to take this seriously and stay indoors uh, as much as possible, uh, keep our distance, of course, wash hands, all those important things. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think, you know, the message that keeps going around is we want to, as a global community, try to flatten the curve. I think it's everybody's responsibility to take care of each other that way. And I can definitely see that coming through in our communities, at least. Yeah. So let's do a quick comparison. So, um, from my German perspective, I just got from the, got off the news and they called it, I mean, European, the European countries being like the hotspot of Corona. 
So we're still allowed to to exit and kind of not just kind of get food and go to the pharmacy, but also kind of go and have a walk. But in France and Spain, for example, people really have to stay inside all the time. So it's horrible. And we can just hope that really that, that this curve is flattening, actually. Let's, let's hope this happens soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we just chatted before and I heard you're, you're doing homeschooling, right? Yes, we have been. Actually, I, I have three kids, three boys um, between the ages of 11 and six. And we've been homeschooling for about six years now. Well, that's very cool because, I mean, for a lot of us um, in Europe and also in other countries, of course, listening, it's a pretty new situation to have your kids at home. Yeah. And to have to kind of teach them. I mean, in our case, our kids are loosely in touch with their teachers. And we're trying to make the best out of it. So they, they work on their Chromebooks. They work sometimes with um, video conferencing and things like that. But w would you have some, some tips, actually, when you have the kids at home and they have to do their work and they have to kind of learn something? So what are the tips that you're having for us? So I would, I would provide just anybody that's new to this with two tips. And these are things that I would say that my, my wife and I have learned the hard way over the last six years or so. Uh, and the, the first is that the rhythms of your day are different when you're schooling at home versus when you're in, when you're in a school in another location. You know, if you send your kids away to school from eight o'clock in the morning until mid-afternoon, They're gone for seven, eight hours of the day, but they're not doing schooling for seven, eight hours of the day, right? There's a lot of, a lot of rhythms that are not in the classroom. And so the first tip that I would give to parents is not to try to transpose an eight hour day onto your kids, right? Um, don't, don't try to say like, well, if you're gone for eight hours, that means you need to be doing some schoolwork for eight hours because Really, when they're at home, they're going to have more focused time. They're going to have less interruptions. They're not, they're, they're not going to have maybe as many built-in breaks around mealtimes and, and things like that. And that's, that's the first thing to sort of, and also to just use that freedom for kids to sort of explore things that they're interested in that they may not have a chance to dig into deeper if they're on a history study and they're learning about the Middle Ages or they're learning about, you know, Greek mythology, like let them take the time to spend an extra hour if they're able to do so doing that where they may not be able to in a traditional environment. And then the second tip that I would give, and this is one that I actually saw from someone who I, um, who I respect greatly, who does a daily newsletter. He said this as well is when you have your kids at home as a parent, give yourself, it, you know, give yourself permission to not be perfect. <laughs> you know, it's tough when you have your kids there all day, even as a homeschooler for, for five or six years, um, you may not be able to plan out every minute of every day. You may find that your kids are having a little bit more screen time than you may want in a perfect situation, especially if both partners are working, uh, you know, a, a typical day job while the kids are at home. And so really to just sort of go, we can all as parents go a little bit easier on ourselves as our kids are in this time to recognize that um, our kids will recover from this probably faster than we will as adults, but this is going to be an opportunity for them to learn new things, to explore new things, uh, and to really be a, a, a unique thing that they'll really remember for the rest of their lives. But um, as parents, you know, it's okay if we, uh, you know, pump the brakes every once in a while. Very cool. I think these are great tips. Thank you so much. So, Brandon, it's pretty funny, really, because I, I, I realized that I, I believe I, I funded your Kickstarter, um, Ellie Saves the Day. And then I think years later, we've been communicating about Particle, which is your employer, and it's all about IoT and embedded systems. 
And then really just, I think when I started this podcast, I realized, hey, wait a second, this is the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so I found that pretty cool. Um, can you tell us what your day job at Particle is all about? Yeah, so I, I work at, at Particle as the, um, basically, I lead our developer relations team. And um, what developer relations is about at Particle is just inspiring and exciting developers to build solutions with IoT. And um, we, you know, we create online resources, content that's really designed to help developers sort of explore this, um, what can be sort of a, a, a crazy world of connectivity and, and a, a scary world, especially if, you're, if you haven't built embedded systems in the past. We do workshops, we create video content. Uh, and that's a big part of the job. But then another piece of the job is actually talking to developers using particle products and building IoT solutions and then working with our engineering teams and our product teams within particle to help them understand what problems are developers having with our products. You know, what way can we make our SDKs and our tools and our console better? And so we really sort of serve that that dual role really well. It's just about educating and inspiring, but then also trying to make our products better so that developers can be even more successful building IoT solutions. Very cool. So IoT, um, I think for in easy terms, I would say it's kind of the, the marriage between electronics and the internet, probably. Absolutely. Did you at some point uh, realize that the electronics part is just kind of not present in the books around you and then decide to, to write these books? Or what is the motivation behind them? Yeah, that's a great question. The big thing for me, and I actually started down the road of pursuing these books back before I was at Particle. It was actually when I was working purely in my day job. I was just more in the software world, but I had started exploring IoT and, and sort of the maker movement about seven years ago on my own. I did. I had sort of the similar journey that many of us do around Arduino, Raspberry Pi, things like that. And as I was going through that exercise, I was going through a couple of kits from SparkFun with my um, my oldest, who's now 11, so he was maybe five or six or you know, four or five at the time. And, uh, you know, I was learning along with him, you know, breadboarding circuits and making LEDs blank with a, an Arduino Uno and things like that. And one of the things that occurred to me was that I felt like there wasn't really a lot of kid accessible content around some of those things. The things that I was learning were making sense to me, but it was really hard for me to explain those same things to him in the way that he would understand. And so around that time, I actually sketched out on a whiteboard in my home office, this idea of Ed, the green led and had drawn a little, I'm, I'm not an illustrator. That's my, my nine-year-olds, the illustrator. And I, I drew a little, you know, poorly done led on there and sort of wrote Ed the led and jotted down a few ideas. And that stayed on my whiteboard in a corner for about a year and a half before I, I did anything with it. Uh, and I was in a, a, a career transition where I was sort of changing jobs and pursuing new opportunities. And around that time, I got to, you know, thinking about this idea again. And I thought, you know, and I should just write it. I should sit down, write the book. Maybe we'll go ahead and do a Kickstarter and just sort of see what happens with that. And I wrote the original draft of Ed Gets His Power Back, the first book, in about three or four days. And then spent the next several months doing all of the other pieces, finding an illustrator, figuring out how the heck Kickstarter even worked and all those kinds of things. But the real need that I was trying to meet at the time was just feeling like, and I'm a storyteller at heart. I've written, I've written, I've, you know, self-published a couple of books and short stories and things like that on the, on the, you know, the fiction side of things. 
And I really <clears throat> wanted to create something that was story driven for my kids to get excited about, to get invested in characters, but then to also learn something, if almost by accident, right? To learn something about electronics concepts, but have that framed around something that would really draw them in and get them excited. Let's jump into quick summaries of the books, I'd say. Should we start with uh, the first one, which is Ed Gets His Power Back, right? Yeah. So Ed Gets His Power Back is a story of a green LED named Ed who lives in a town called Bread Bordeaux. And um, <laughs> that's always that's always like one of my favorite inspirations I had with the, the name of the city. Uh, but Ed lives in the town of Bread Bordeaux and he discovers as his parents are away uh, for the day that the power has gone out in the city and he needs to figure out a way to sort of be the light of the city before the sun sets and to enlist his friends for help. No circuit can be accomplished alone. So he has to rely on uh, other components, other characters in the book who represent other electronic components to build a complete circuit and light up the city before the sun sets. The second book is um, Ellie Saves the Day. And I think in this case, it's a it's a green LED, right? Ellie Saves the Day uh, is actually about a blue, uh, blue oh, LED. Oh, blue. Ellie. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Uh, Ellie, the blue LED, and she is actually uh, works at the train station uh, with her family, and her family also is conveniently gone. I don't know why these these uh, stories sort of start that way, but she needs to. Uh, there's a train coming down the track, and she needs to figure out how to actually blink her light on and off with another LED. Turns out to be her friend Ed from the first book to actually blink her lights on and off again, with the help of other other friends. And so the circuit that's being illustrated there is actually working with creating blinking LED circuits with a 555 timer. Uh, so a little bit more advanced, but still trying to sort of convey some basic concepts around a sort of practical uh, practical idea or story. What age group do you, would you recommend these books for? You know, what's fun about this is I have observed this to be pretty appropriate between for kids between the ages of three to 10. And that's a pretty wide wide swath. But the reason for that is because even at the age of three, I think kids can get engaged in the story because they are full color storybooks. You know, you can listen to the story and get invested and involved without fully grasping all of the, the nitty gritty details in there. And over time, things sort of start to make sense. Uh, but as my, my older boys, you know, were around seven, eight, nine, around the time the first books came out, it was still something that was engaging for them because they were reading it to their, uh, to their younger brother and because they were also sort of more grasping, uh, especially with the kits that we could build along, which I know we'll talk about, that they were actually grasping some of the, some of the pieces within it. But the beauty of framing this around story is that it really allowed us to appeal to a pretty wide group of kids. Some um, younger and not as experienced and some that are starting to get into the understanding the behind the scenes pieces, but really still are drawn in by story, which frankly I found is something that's true any age we are. I think we all get, we all really love the power of story. Uh, and so that's true for kids as well. Yeah. So that's a beautiful liaison. I think um, you just mentioned the electronic kits, which um, I wanted to talk about next. So you can buy these books alone, but you also can buy them with an electronic kit and then you can kind of recreate the circuit that was spoken about in the books. So can you tell us more about these um, electronic kits? Yeah, great. So this was actually another one of the goals that I had in going through in writing the books the way that we did was to try to, to try to frame it to where if you had all the components 
that were discussed in the book, you could actually page by page follow along and build the exact same working circuit without having a set of additional instructions. We did provide additional instructions at the end of the book and other resources, but it really was intended to describe something real, not something, uh, you know, not something purely pretend, but you could build it. And so what we did for both books was provide uh, or do for both books is provide a, a kit that can be purchased along with it that has all the components that you need to actually build the complete circuit that's illustrated in the book. In the case of the first book, the circuit took place on a breadboard with basic components, LED, resistor, jumper wire, nine volt battery, capacitor, and all of those are sort of provided in a kit. And you can go through the exercise of, of plugging those in and, and see the actual circuit come to life. One of the things that was interesting after producing the first book, and you know, I've been doing electronics work for a while now, and I feel like kids and adults alike, we all, I think, sort of get tired of, of plugging fiddly little components into breadboards after a while. It's like an easy way to prototype but our, our eyes aren't getting any better. You know, our, our, even with, and with little kids, I mean, try to plug components in is not an easy exercise. And so I wanted to actually make that part of the experience more accessible to kids and adults alike in the second book. And so what we did for the second book is instead of a, instead of a breadboard, we created a custom printed circuit board or PCB. And the PCB actually has pre-soldered headers and plugs so that kids can actually just take those components and then just sort of plug them into the right place. And it becomes a much easier experience to sort of follow along and put the LEDs and the capacitors in the right place, bring it all together. And with that book as well, you get the PCB and all the components and then can follow along through the story and then create an actual working circuit uh, through the exercise. Yeah, I totally love it, really. So it's a brilliant Thank idea. Thank you. So I read... I think that was already some years ago that by 2020, we're going to have 21 billion IoT devices. So I'm not quite sure if you really reached that number or if we've already surpassed it. You might know. Yeah, But yeah. Essentially, everything is connected these days. Right. So how would you, in a best possible way, explain the Internet of Things to kids? This is such a great question. And I don't know that I fully have an answer yet. But I'm trying because I think about this even in my day job. How do I how do I explain the IoT to someone that may be a web developer or a mobile developer that's interested in this space but may not be working in IoT all the time? And the way that I the way that I like to describe it is that the whole point of the IoT is about taking the things that we've already been doing for years with sensors and with actuators and you know, motors and things like that. And making it to where that data can be accessible or those things can be controllable from anywhere else in the world. And so if I have a temperature sensor that is sitting in a vineyard or a half a mile away from my house, what the IoT enables me to do is to find out what the temperature is on that sensor without having to leave my house and drive half a mile or walk half a mile down the road. I can actually get the answer by leveraging the power of the internet. And our, our, all of our kids these days understand the internet far better than I think even we do. I mean, it's just sort of innate. It's been part of their entire lives. They get this idea that things are just sort of innately connected. And so just explaining that through the context of it, it gives you, it gives you the ability to connect these small, tiny little sensors or small little motors the same way that one computer can connect to another computer Uh, seems to resonate resonate fairly well. 
are you sure you're not planning a third book maybe about <laughs> the internet and we've been we've been joking before right so maybe maybe ed finds a girlfriend and her name is laura which is one of these <laughs> wireless communication protocols yeah. or there's something else with the internet i don't know i love that idea i have thought about i have lots of ideas for a third book we I, i'm taking a bit of a break right now between the second and third books because we We did two Kickstarters in less than two years, which is uh, quite an exhausting <laughs> undertaking uh, to go through and completely deliver. But I, I really do. I really like that idea of having something that that takes that takes that even up to the next level and talks about electronics, but talks about this unique aspect of connectivity and and, and wireless and how you can really do exciting things. So really the sky's the limit. I gotta, I gotta get back to the whiteboard and figure out like, what can we, what can we do with the IOT? I, I love Laura as a character name. So I might have to, I'm going to take that and give you credit, give you credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Let me know when it's out and I'm definitely going to fund that book too. So, and also the kit this time, actually. So. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> so are you aware of some resources, materials, websites for teachers that maybe could help um, to understand what IoT is about? I mean, you already gave us a really good explanation now, but I'm more like asking for materials for, for teachers, for example, or could even help them to start experimenting with IoT so they can pass on that knowledge. So, you know, the, there's a few sites that I'm, I'm a really big fan of, and they're really more project sharing sites, but I do think that they provide almost a blank Slater canvas for teachers to be able to explore sort of what's out there and what's possible in the IoT space. And hackster.io is the first example. And there's a ton of really great resources. There are actually even online uh, workshops. Hackster started to actually add workshops and full-on day, multi-day courses that teachers can offer to their students. Um, but there all, it also is a very popular project shared community where people can actually post something that they worked on. There are a lot of high schools that actually use Hackster and they've partnered with some of a part with Particle as well, where they'll have their students actually as a part of their, you know, connected things uh, curriculum over the course of six months their final capstone project is something that has to be written up and posted onto Hackster. So it's a great resource for seeing how other schools, how other educators are using uh, teaching IoT. And then the other resource is Instructables. Instructables is a lot broader um, because you can find anything on there from you know woodworking and CNC milling all the way into IoT development. But it's also a really powerful resource for just seeing what are other people doing? How are they teaching? You know, What are they really Uh, how are they really unpacking all of these concept with, well, concepts with kids and, and their students? Let's say we've reached 22 billion IoT devices <laughs> by today. I'm not sure if that's true, but what do you think would be or will be the next next big concept thing that we should teach the next generation of kids? What do they need to understand? So I'm going to I'm going to give this answer fully knowing that it's going to be it's it's it like IoT is a buzzword but I'm going to unpack sort of why and generally artificial intelligence but really specifically more machine learning and the reason why I say that is because I've actually spent a lot of time in the AI and ML space over the last couple of years especially in the last year primarily to start exploring and driving forward doing machine learning on embedded devices like on microcontrollers, which is a sort of newer cutting edge space, but it is possible. But the reason why I think that's important is because it actually changes the way that we think about programming. One of the first things I learned about AI and ML is that 
you know, I'm a long time developer. I've been an engineer for 20 years. And the way that I think about programming a computer is I give the computer a question and an algorithm, and then I ask it to use the algorithm to give me an answer, right? Um, but IoT sort of, I mean, AI sort of flips that on its head by saying, well, AI is really about, you don't really, really, you don't really know the algorithm. You maybe don't know how to frame the question. You know that you have a bunch of data and you have a bunch of answers and you want to ask the computer to tell you what the algorithm is, how to frame the question. And that's a bit of a change in thinking in, you know, how we look at programs traditionally. But I think the way that this field is going to evolve is going to encourage kids, you know, we're going to have another generation of developers that don't just write algorithms, but actually train computers using tools that are a little bit more open-ended in terms of the processes. They may not be writing lines of code, but they may be actually structuring and bringing together, you know, different ML architectures to, to, for lack of a better term, to encourage computers to help them make make sense of, you know, masses of data. Uh, and that's going to be kind of interesting. So I, I think that as as machine learning gets more sophisticated um, and easier to control and convey, I do think that we're going to find more opportunities to teach kids and teach young people how to embrace these technologies in their own work as well. And that's going to be pretty interesting to see. So, Brendan, um, I'm, I really hope that you're going to write this book. Um, <laughs> it's called At Ellie and Laura go on a road trip or something like that <laughs> i like it um if you, if you start writing let me know okay and send us the links um thank you so much for this interview it was awesome to talk to you yeah thanks so much man. appreciate it In this episode, we talked to Brandon Satrum about his two educational storybooks and along the way we explored why electronics and STEAM education are so important for the future of our kids. Please check out kidslab.dev for the show notes of this episode. Next up is an interview with Lenori Edman from the Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories. It will be super fun to discuss their many crazy but super educational products such as the Eggbot.